turn with me to Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. (laughs) Psalm 139, 7 through 12. This is King David speaking, addressing God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If you would join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are always with us. It's part of who you are. You're everywhere. You know everything about us. And may we always keep that fact in mind as we go through life. Uh, making decisions, um, and may that always be a comfort to us when we're going through life's hardships and storms, knowing that we're never alone and you are always with us. Please bless the rest of this service, and um, may it be encouraging to all of us and honoring to you. In your holy name, amen. Thanks, Aaron. Well, good morning, IBC family. Once again, uh, I'd just like to say real quickly, Ken, Autumn, and we're, oh, Madeline, there's Madeline. Madeline, I know she's deep in study right now in Scripture. Madeline, I'm right here. I'm up front. <laughs> I just want to say not only a congratulations, but the Lord's blessing be upon you. Um, it is a privilege and an honor to participate in what God is doing in your guys' life. And we know that it is a work of God, and we get to participate and to celebrate with you. But church family, I do want to just bring this as a way of reminder. Uh, we've talked about this before, but we need to be reminded of the things sometimes that we know all too well. First of all, we celebrate the fact that brothers and sisters, both young and old, have made a declaration to follow Jesus and have declared that before their church family. But we also are not naive that the enemy is alive and well. And yes, this is an act of God in their life, and so we celebrate that. But we also know this, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And there's no greater... um, There's no greater uh, way to sabotage or to steal your joy than to you to step forward in obedience to Christ and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I have chosen to follow him for the rest of my life and the enemy come in and take you out and want to make you joyless, full of sin and make it like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't real. God doesn't really love you. So church family, we have an obligation, actually. We have an obligation, but an opportunity 
to pray for these dear brothers and sisters. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, as the Lord leads, as he prompts you, uh, to just to continue to lift up Ken and Autumn and little Madeline, and that you would just continue to pray for them, that God would empower him, them by his spirit, and that they would be men and women that are following Jesus wholeheartedly, and that the kingdom of God would be grown and encouraged because of their faithfulness. And so we need to do that as a church family. It's really not an option, but something we must do because we all need one another. Um, before I jump into my sermon here, I do want to just, uh, Pastor Tom and I have talked about this, especially in his uh, extensive years as a teacher. Um, we've joked about this a lot. If you don't highlight something that's obvious to people, then... Uh, then everybody's looking at it and look and, and wondering about it, and then um, and so I'm just going to dispel things. Perhaps some of you, when I walked up here, you're saying, "What happened to your face?" And this isn't bringing attention on me or anything. It, it was the first three questions by the first three people I saw when I walked into church today. What happened to your face? Well, this is what happens when you step on a hornet's nest and they sting your face and neck and everything else, and. I'm not necessarily allergic to bees, but this happened a couple days ago, and all of a sudden yesterday, everything started flaring up or something. So that's what happened to my face, and now you don't have to think about it. So, <laughs> so if you're wondering to yourself, going like, man, I just can't get over that distraction, by God's grace, you can, okay? <laughs> um, so there we have it. Um, I also don't want to necessarily uh, embarrass anybody, but thank you, worship team and Seth, for praying for us, and then Siri going off right in the middle of that prayer. I'm not sure whose phone that was. Got to love technology until you don't, right? Um, in fact, it kind of brings me right into my introduction for us this morning. You know, we, our lives, our reality are radically different than even our parents and even our grandparents' lives, right? I mean, we have this thing called a smartphone. Uh, I'm not sure how smart it is all the times, but it can allow us to do a lot of things, right? And allow us to pursue many different functions. I mean, you think about how, how relating to one another and how interacting with one another has changed so radically with the advent of the smartphone, right? Uh, we, we now have video chatting. We have social media, which that's a whole nother conversation. We have cameras that are on our phones that are better than old SLRs 20 years ago. I mean, it's incredible what you're able to do. We have Google Maps. Can you imagine not getting around planning a road trip without Google Maps. I mean, we had this thing called uh, Rand McNally or something. Remember that, those old, those big old atlases and you could always tell people trying to figure out where they're at and where they're going, right? Well, we also had this really cool feature. I don't know if it's cool. Maybe that's a subjective thing, but this other feature that your phone can do, and that is you can ping one another, Right? And the whole thing about pinging one another is that you can find out, uh, you know, like parents, for example, can actually go, where are my kids right now if they have a device to be uh, found? Or sometimes spouses can ping one another going, oh, this is where my wife is at, or this is where my husband's at, and I know how long it's going to be till they get here. Um, or actually, sometimes this feature has been uh, 
advantageous for those who have been lost in the park. In fact, it's not uncommon for people to get lost in our park and uh, for people to ping kind of their last known location. And because of that, they're able to be discovered or to be found by search and rescue. And so there's some great advantages to, some, to, to the technology that we have had. And especially this ping feature, it's, it's quite interesting in the sense that it answers the question, where are you? Where are you right now? Because I don't know, and I want to know, and you can ping someone, and you can answer that question, where are you? The question I would like to pose for us this morning is this. Where is God? Where is God? Is he here with us right now? Is he present only on Sundays when the church gathers, wherever it gathers? Is he only present when we use that, when we refer to that verse where two or three are gathered, there I am, there I am there, and when they gather in my name? Is that the only time that he is present? Is God present just in heaven away from us while we live here on earth? Is he present only when we feel that he is? Is he present only when we want him to be? Where is God right now? There's an interesting uh, passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob is really on the run. And if you, you probably know the story, but Jacob and Esau, though they are twins, they are... Um, they did not, uh, well, they ended better, but uh, there, was, there was a time in their life where they, Jacob manipulated his brother, received the birthright. Now Esau says, I'm going to kill him. His mother says, you need to go to my, your, your uncle. And so he's on the run. And while he's on the run, in Genesis chapter 28, he's, he's sent into his uncle's house and he falls asleep. And Jacob has this dream, a vivid dream, about a ladder that goes that extends all the way up into heaven and angels are going up and down the ladder and at the top of the ladder the lord is standing there and as the lord is standing at the top of this ladder in jacob's uh, vision or dream here we see this that the lord speaks to jacob by confirming his promises that he gave to his grandfather abraham In other words, he tells Jacob, Jacob, much like I promised your grandfather Abraham, you are going to have numerous descendants. In fact, look at the stars in the sky, and that'll give you an indication of how I'm going to bless you. And the Lord also confirmed to Jacob his promise to bring him back to the place that he was sleeping, to the land that he was going to give them as an inheritance, modern-day Israel today. The Lord also promised that he would always be with Jacob and would protect him. Of course, after these promises, we see that Jacob wakes up in this passage here. He wakes up from his dream and says something that I think maybe we could all relate to. He says this in Genesis 28, 16. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I had no clue up until now. You see, how often could we or can we uh, 
come to realize, much like Jacob, right, the Lord is in this place, or the Lord is with me, and I really didn't recognize it for a long time. Or how often do we go out living our lives as if God is not present with us right now? How often do we fail to acknowledge or even be conscious of his presence with us in every moment? And yet, as David, King David confirms in Psalm 139 for us, he says that there is no place that we can go where God is not fully present, right? Where shall I go from your spirit, David asks? Where should I, shall I flee from your presence, If I go ascend up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Basically, no matter where I go, God is present. Or listen to the words that that, that God speaks through his prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah uh, chapter 23 with a list of rhetorical questions. In Jeremiah 23, God asks this, Am I a God, declares the Lord, And am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? The point is this. If we were to ask the question, where is God? The Bible tells us that God is everywhere. The theological term for this, because we've been using a lot, referring to a lot of theological terms in our attribute study, but the theological term for the fact that God is everywhere is called omnipresence. Omni meaning all, and presence, well, is kind of self-defined, right? All presence. What does it mean that God is? is omnipresent or all-present. There's a number of indications even based off of one, Psalm 139 as well as in Jeremiah chapter 23. God's omnipresence or all-presence means that he is in every place at all times. The fact that God is omnipresent means that God cannot be contained in just one place like you and I. Because God doesn't, in, doesn't inhabit a body like you and I inhabit a body, though we have Jesus who came in the form of body, he became God incarnate. God himself does not have a body, so he's not limited to a, a singular place. He cannot be contained in just one place. You see, God's omnipresence means that God isn't just present everywhere, but that he fills his, he fills every place. Meaning that he is wholly present in all of his creation simultaneously. Let me illustrate it this way. You and I can be physically present with somebody, maybe even our spouse, but that does not mean we are fully present with our spouse, right? We might be physically present, but we may not be emotionally, mentally present with our spouse. I don't mean to encourage any elbow jabs by that comment or illustration, 
But, uh, but the fact is, you and I, we could be there, but not all there, so to speak, right? But that is not true of God. God is fully present at all times, in all places. He is not divided in any way. And because God is infinite, as we studied earlier in our series of the attributes of God, that means his presence is equally infinite, What are the implications of God's omnipresence then to us? What does that mean to us? First of all, God's omnipresent means that he observes every event in all places all at once. He's not bouncing around very quickly, and we just can't keep up with how quickly he's going all over his creation No, God is fully, he observes every event in all places, all at once. The prophet Ezekiel says this, or God says this through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 9. Listen to this or read along with me. Then he said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood, and the city is full of injustice. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. Now the prophet Ezekiel here is exposing Israel and and Judah's sin, in which they have been justifying from a faulty perspective that God has forsaken them, and because God has forsaken them, that, he has made, that means he has left them. And because he has left them, he no longer sees their actions. He no longer sees the, their wickedness any longer because he's no longer present with them. But, as Ezekiel identifies, that is simply not true. Because the fact is, God doesn't just, just know about everything that goes on in his creation. He is an eyewitness to everything. You see, brothers and sisters, whether you and I invite him in our lives or not, or whether you and I are aware of God's presence or not, in whatever we're doing, God is there. God is with you. And this can be both a sobering as well as a source of uh, encouragement or comfort for us, right? It can be a sobering warning to us that God is there, but it can also encourage and instill a deep sense of settledness in our hearts. By a sobering warning, I'm always reminded of uh, Pastor Mike when he kind of mentioned this many times in the past, but um, he always, he would say that uh, when he would, as a young boy, would get ready to go out and play with his friends, and uh, his mom would kind of give him this, just kind of this little pep talk, not a long pep talk, but a necessary pep talk. Hey, Mike, have fun, have a great time, and remember, Jesus is with you. In other words, it's kind of like, in whatever you go about doing right now, be mindful of the fact that you're not alone. You may think you're doing things in the dark or thinking like no one's seeing us right now, but Jesus sees everything. I don't know who said it first, but uh, one 
theologian said it this way. He says, every sin in some measure is born out of the practical denial of God's presence. Every sin in some measure is born out of the practical denial of God's presence. I mean, think about this. The intentional pursuit of sin reveals that we don't really think God is present or that we just don't think God cares about our sin. And yet both forms of ignorance can have damning consequences. And so we see that the awareness of God's constant presence in our life can really serve us in a, in a helpful or beneficial way as a sobering warning that God is with you no matter where you go. No matter how much you try to hide or how public you are, God is fully there. But that's also re- realizing God's attentive presence in your life can also be a reassuring comfort to us, right? I mean, the questions that are oftentimes raised when, when bad things happen in our world or, or in our lives, whether it be natural disasters or, or wars or personal struggle, the questions we oftentimes ask or at least think about is, where is God in this? Does he care about what is currently going on on a global scale? Does he care about what's going on in my life right now? Does he care that I'm going through chemo right now? Does he care? Is he aware? Brothers and sisters, he cares more than you can even imagine. God is not only aware but he absolutely cares about everything that happens in all his creation. Everything that you are currently struggling through may be right now. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. The point that Jesus is getting at in that passage in Matthew chapter 10 is this. If God even has enough capacity, which he does, but even cares about what we would call random birds, it'd be like us going, hey, all those seagulls out there, he cares about each and every one of those seagulls. And you're like, why? We don't at all. They just make a ruckus and a mess. And yet God cares and is aware about all his creation. Even to the littlest of details. Details that we could care less about in our life. But God cares because he loves his creation. I think it's also important that we realize or begin to understand more fully that not because of his omnipresence, God is not just aware of every event that takes place in his creation, but God's presence also means that he is actively involved in all events that occur, that occur in his creation. Meaning, God is not passively present. He's not just a bystander looking by as 
certain events take place. You know, oftentimes in our culture, in the human race, you know, especially, again, here's the, the smartphone thing, everybody's quick to point out and, 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 take a, and capture a video of whatever's going on, but very few people are willing to, be, willing to be the good Samaritan and jump in and help someone that is in need. We have enough time to watch someone in need, let, but we don't want any skin off our back, and we're not going to, dare we say, jump in and help someone in need. But that's not who our God is. He's not only just aware of everything, but he's actively present, actively involved. He's actively working in and through all events in his creation. Even though we may not fully understand it, and even though we don't always know why God does the things that he does. For example... Do you think that God is aware of what's going on between Israel and Palestine? Do you think that God is passively watching what's happening? The Bible tells us that God isn't just a deist God. Deism is this idea or this false belief about God that says this, God created everything and then he's like, okay, off to more more important things. And he's really absent. He's not providentially working through his creation. He's just going, you know, whatever, I've already set things in motion. Whatever happens, happens. That's a deistic uh, approach to God, but that's not who our God is. The Bible teaches us that God is proactively involved and providentially involved in all his creation, meaning, for example, that even the conflict between the Palestinians and Hamas and Hezbollah and Israel and everything that's going on and all those who are, quote, not involved, God is fully aware. And he is working. So let's not turn to CNN or Fox or whatever else to kind of find out what's actually going on. Let's look up and go, God, we're listening. We want to see your perspective on what's going on. I got asked this, this week, Aaron, how are you praying for Israel and, and the whole Palestinian-Israeli conflict? And, I, and I, at first I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? How am I praying? Like, what, what is kind of your, what are you praying for? And I'm like, are you praying that, like, that the war would end, or are you asking that I would pray that somehow the war would turn out in the way I want it to? Or what, what are you asking exactly? Then we're like, it really kind of came down to the fact that it was just more of an open-ended question, and I just was able, able, able to respond in this way. I'm praying that the will of God be accomplished through this. Because I believe what Scripture says when it says that God will cause everything to work together for His good and for our good and for His glory. That doesn't mean that I'm pro-war or pro-conflict and death and atrocities and all that's involved with that. Absolutely not. That doesn't mean that God is for those things either. At the same time, God will work through even the evil actions of people and glorify himself through it. And he will use it to draw people to himself. That's what I'm praying for. And may we as a church pray to that end. 
God, glorify yourself in this. As horrible as it may be, glorify yourself and draw many into a saving relationship with you because of it. You may ask this question because I'm under the impression that at least many or most, maybe all, probably not all, but most of us in here are followers of Jesus at various stages in our walk of faith. But I want to, uh, I think there's sometimes there's this question that we might ask because here I am saying God is all present. He's always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Okay, that's who God is. But if God is wholly present or fully present and fully aware and intimately involved in all his creation, and if I have received the promised Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, then here's the question. Then why does it seem that God is far away? Have any of you ever felt like that? We have the promise of Scripture, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, it seems that as though God is still far away. Why does God seem to be absent or uninvolved, not actively working in my current situation? To answer this question or questions, let me first distinguish between two aspects of God's presence. Theologians, oftentimes, uh, you know, there, there's a, we, can, we can easily throw out that God is fully present, but there's actually some nuance in that statement, which means that God's presence, there are two aspects to it. One is God's essential presence, and one is God's relational presence. And not to get caught up in terms or labels necessarily, let me just quickly help you understand or define what that means. By God's essential presence, what that refers to is how God sustains and governs all his creation. It's what we've been talking about up to this point. God is sustaining and governing all his creation by the fact that he is fully present everywhere at all times in all places. And by God's relational presence, that refers to how God relates to those whom he has saved. What this means is that God, in his essence, he fills all his creation, but he does not interact with every person in the same way. For example, those who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ are called children of God, which means that God relates to his children in a very special way, as a father does to his own child, and in contrast to maybe others who are not yet his children. Now, you might ask this question in response. Wait, are, are not all people God's children? Isn't everyone a child of God? No. No, they're not. And we don't say that flippantly or with joy or anything of the matter. But the fact is, not everyone is a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we must remember and go back to the beginning when Adam and Eve rebelled against God by disobeying him. Their their decisions severed God's relationship with a human race. And what was once perfect communion with God, that communion and that relationship was now broken. And since then, God has embarked on a global rescue mission to redeem and to save that which was lost. But not everyone 
has been saved. So therefore, not everyone is a child of God. Therefore, not everyone experiences the same kind of presence that you and I can as children of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now you might ask, does this mean that God doesn't care for other people who are not Christian? He only cares about his children and everybody else is like, whatever with you? No, that is not what that means. I believe the Bible tells us that God cares about all his creation. What is the first verse you probably learned if you grew up in the church, right? John 3.16, for God so loved some things. Wait, no, that's not how it went. For God so loved the world, so much so that he embarked, compelled by love for his creation, on a divine rescue mission to save people from their sin. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, Scripture tells us. And so we see that God does care about those who are not yet his children. But God's presence, apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, will be limited. Remember Romans 8.28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. When you read that verse in its context, we see that verse is really, the condition around that verse is a promise to Christians. It's a promise to followers of Jesus. It's for those who love God. Therefore, all things will work together for good. The question that we may pose then, or you may be thinking, then why then as a Christian, why then as a follower of Jesus, does God feel distant from me? Why does he seem so far away, even though the Bible says that I am a child of God by faith? There's a couple different answers, but I think a predominant answer that I want to address here for us this morning, and that is this. The reason why, I, even as a child of God, even as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the reason why God seems to be far is due primarily because of unconfessed sin in our life. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59, or look along with me in Isaiah 59, for example. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you, Isaiah beckons, please. It's your sins that have cut cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Why does God seem far, even though we are told from Scripture that He is right here? Why does God seem distant or uninvolved? Why is my awareness or my conscious awareness of God seem to be waning, even though the Scripture says He's fully present right here, right now with me, even as a child of Christ, even as a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ? Because primarily due to sin, that persists in our lives. John Snyder writes in his book, uh, Behold Your God, he says this, God makes it clear that he will not allow those who embrace sin to enjoy the experience of his nearness. 
If we embrace sin, then God will always seem to be far. Or Matthew Barrett says in his book, None Greater, he says this, the sinner's distance from God is due to their sin. Tozer says it this way, and we've been referring to Tozer a lot because he's one who has probably spent most time, him and A.W. Pink have spent the most time on these attributes, him and them and J.I. Packer. He says this, it is the heart that puts distance between us and God. God is nearer to you now, nearer to you than you are to yourself, and yet the sinner is far from God. He isn't far from God, and yet he is. Whereas St. Augustine put it, he says, it is not by location, by, but, but by incongruity that a person is far from God. His, his term incongruency, uh, apart from God, what he's getting at is this. We have, a, an inc- we have kind of two polarized natures that do not allow us to, be, to experience the fellowship of God as we could when those two polarized natures are removed. One polarized nature is the holiness of God, and one is the sinfulness of our flesh. And so as John points out in 1 John chapter 1, we cannot have fellowship with God, and, we, and therefore we cannot have fellowship with one another when sin, conscious sin, is present in our lives. You see, sin always separates relationships but it is grace and forgiveness that restores and unites relationships. Perhaps some of us in here, perhaps this is striking a nerve for some of us in here. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I am going to ask you to listen intently. Please hear me out. Because it's not sufficient just to say the reason why God seems far or distant from you because you have sin in your life, so get it together. No. Or calling out a clear diagnosis of why God may seem far from you. What then should be our response? I think St. Augustine put it well when he said, Do not flee from God, but flee to Him. In our conscious awareness of sin, do not flee from God, but instead flee to Him. How do you and I flee to God? Well, John tells us in 1 John 1.9, a verse that many of you know all too well. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. One of the ways in which we flee to God is by an honest confession of those things in our life, those guilty actions or thoughts or whatever it may be, the conscious awareness of sin that we need to confess. And by confession, it doesn't mean an acknowledgement nearly. It doesn't just mean like, well, okay, I'll admit I did it. No, it's a confession that says, God, help me. Remove any unright way that is within me. It's what Hebrews 4 tells us. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet we, he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, the, of, the, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will, re, we will find grace to, find us, to help us when we need it most. What are you to do when you are aware of sin in your life that will keep you at a distance from God? Not because He is, but because we cannot experience His nearness. Flee to Him. Realize that there is a throne of grace. Remember what D.A. Carson, he said it this way, God is more eager to forgive your sins than you are to confess your sins. God is more eager to forgive you of your sins than you are to confess them. Realize that the heart of the Father isn't, I can't believe you, I'm so sick of you, I'm so tired of you. Enough is enough. You do this over and over and over and over and over again. I am sick of it, I'm done. We as parents sometimes feel that way. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But God is a perfect Father. And where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And he says, I want you to experience my love. Your sin will keep you from that, but I want you to be right. I am right here. I have never left you. I will never forsake you. In our sin, we forsake God, but God says, I will never forsake you. So come. You know, like, as a pastor, and as you well know, if you've done any kind of teaching, there is so much to be said on any given topic. And uh, there's so much to be said, especially in regards to God's all-present, fully active care for His creation. But the question I'd like for you to reflect on when you are leaving here, perhaps it's a, an honest introspection of your heart, but a question I'd also like you for you to reflect on this morning when you leave here is this, how is God's full presence, or how does God's full presence influence how you live your life? right now? How does the fact that God is always with you influence how you go out pursuing your daily tasks? How does God's continual presence with you reassure you in your current struggle? You see, one of the most tragic realities that, uh, that we find ourselves struggling against is this thing called uh, like the compartmentalization of our faith, Right? We have our church life, and then we have our, what we call our normal life, <laughs> as if there should be a distinction, right? This is my Christian part of the life, this is my, my religious expression, and this is everything else. Tozer calls this the sacred secular lie. The sacred secular lie. The sacred meaning like, oh, here's all my church activity and here's where I serve. And then the secular is everything else that's not necessarily considered religious or uh, serving Christ in some manner. But he calls that a lie. And here's, here's why. You might think that ch- the church service is your only spiritual kind of pick-me-up for the week. 
Or, or, but you might also think that everyday task, the mundane task, could I even address some mothers in the room? Wiping your baby's bottom. How in the world could that ever be spiritual? Yet, every task, everything, even what we might refer to as mundane, is spiritual so long as we are aware of God's presence and our intent is to glorify Him in the process. That's why Paul says, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I think Brother Lawrence, he actually, I don't know if you know about Brother Lawrence, he's an old uh, monastic, actually not a monastic father, but he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of the Holy. And uh, in this book, he was a dishwasher. He was a grunt man in a monastery. He was not the, you know, the monastery leader. He wasn't the one writing and, and navigating. He was low man on the totem pole. And yet, there was something about Brother Lawrence's walk of faith and his, and his, and his relationship with God that made him stand out among all the monastic leaders at that time. And even though he was like in the kitchen scrubbing all the dishes for all the people coming in, he acknowledged this. He says, my times in washing dishes is no different than my times, my set times of prayer. Now we're like, whoa, well, we go to pray so that we can be in God and then do these other things and I got to get back so I can be with God. And he says, I'm always in with God. I'm always communing with God because God is always with me. So whether I kneel on my knees to pray by myself or whether I'm in the kitchen or whatever I'm doing, I am fully aware of God's presence with me. And so every act, even to the most mundane, was an act of of worship. Brothers and sisters, may you and I live realizing that everything we do, even to the littlest of activity, the most boring activity, the chores and all the things that we want to just get done and out of the way and behind us, all those are an opportunity to glorify God, to worship Him, and to exalt Him. What if, what if someone comes in the room and catches you singing as you're sweeping or vacuuming or whatever it is and you're just giving praise to God? Not because you necessarily love this activity, because every activity is an opportunity to say, thank you, God. You have been so, so good to me. How will God's full presence influence how you go about living your day every decision that you make